Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Maya Doerr to the show. Maya, welcome. Thank you so much, Caroline. I'm just delighted to be with you. Oh, I'm really excited. We're going to dive into a juicy conversation about how to create a career that expresses your life's core intentions for a true calling. And we're going to talk about your brilliant new book, Work That Matters, Create a Livelihood That Reflects Your Core Intention. But Maya, bring us back because we've got a global listening audience and I'd like for them to understand how you became interested in work as a field of inquiry. Well, it goes all the way back to one of my strongest memories when I was a kid. Um, And I remember my dad would come home from work and he was often late. (laughs) So we would be waiting for him at the dining room table and he would finally get home. We would sit at the table for dinner and he was pretty miserable. Um, You know, he just, and I won't even go into the story about why, but his, his work was just not very fulfilling for him. And this actually was not that unusual, right? I think a lot of people... My dad was the same way. That's why I'm right. chuckling. Yeah. Yeah. So people lived for the weekends. They lived for that very short couple of weeks of vacation they got every year. Um, and that just seemed to be the way people viewed work. It's like, you just have to get through it, just tolerate it. Um, and so very early on, that planted the seed in me. And I made a promise to myself, like, no matter what, <laughs> I am going to have work that I love. So that's where it started, and it just uh, set me off on quite an odyssey through a lot of different jobs and a number of careers. Well, we are kindred spirits and that we both celebrate that philosophy. And I'm sure you hear this from from coach clients and and all of the great work that you're doing and, and readers of your book. Do you think it's realistic to expect to be in love with your work? Or is it okay to just be in like with your work? Well, you know, I think it's realistic to be in love with our life. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And work is a very large part of our life. Let's face it. It's, you know, usually the majority of our waking hours. So, and, you know, the book leads people through a process where I actually feel like what I'm, one of the things I'm trying to do is redefine what work is for p- folks. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually why I use the word livelihood in the subtitle, because I feel like that expands what it means to um, have work. It's not you know, and there's different combinations you can bring into your life. And maybe it's not always going to be your paid work that brings you this, but you can really raise uh, your level of intention for how you live your life. And so part of that gets expressed through your work. And some of that may be through work that's not even paid. So I'm, I'm so, yes. yeah, and I'm so grateful that you that you believe that and, and are such a great proponent for that, because so many people are stuck on that treadmill of saying, okay, this is my need for income. This is how I support myself and possibly my family. But you believe that there's ability to balance and and find a job that you're passionate about, but also measure what you value in different ways. So talk a little bit about that. Right. And I have to say, some of this goes back to, I mean, I have, um, you know, I think two of my most formative experiences are, are having a long-time meditation practice. Lovely. And all and also having training as an anthropologist. So I feel like I see things a lot through that cultural lens. And I really see how our society has conditioned us to separate these things in our life. Like there's work, you know, there's leisure time, there's family, there's our spirituality, and they're, they're not supposed to merge. You know, that's how we think of balance. Like, okay, I'll have enough time for all of it. But actually the way I think about it is like, how, how can we have a life where actually those things are a little bit more seamlessly blended? Um, 
So, yes. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I, lo- I believe in that mosaic approach, right? It's a beautiful right. puzzle that fits together, and it, it doesn't need to be smooth, right? Some of those edges are, are um, jagged, and that's okay. That's part of life. But, Maya, let's break it down, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are saying, okay, I identify with this, but now what? Well, you know, what's that first baby step for someone who is admittedly unsatisfied about their, their work, and it's, it's translating into their life? Right. Well, you know, the framework of the book, the, the main part of the book is about what I call the six keys to liberation-based livelihood. And liberation-based livelihood is just simply work that you have that you can express what I call your core intention. Mm. And so finding what that core intention is for you, you know, becoming really familiar with it, that is the first step. Uh, that's what I see as fundamental. And when I talk about core intention, it's different from a passion. You know, I think a lot of a lot of books about work are framed around passion. Find your passion, follow your passion, money will follow. And, and I really believe that, um, you know, passion is about a what. So, you know, there are things that we will like to do or love to do, like maybe I love music or I love knitting. Uh, and that's great. But what the core intention, what I'm inviting people to do with the core intention is to identify and really feel the why that's underneath that. You know, why is it that we do that? What's the purpose that we're here on the planet for? What do we have to offer? Thank you for defining that so beautifully and and simply because it, it's much more uh, relatable in those terms. I agree. I think the find your passion is an overrated concept because it freaks people out and right. it just gets them beyond uh, an ability to really think in simple terms about what drives me and why does this matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the beauty of coming at it from that direction and really becoming, you know, the phrase I use is become intimate with your core intention. And right. it is a process, you know, sometimes it takes some time. Um, I have a number of exercises in the book to help people do that, but it does take time for it to steep. But yeah. I think what's really beautiful about focusing on the core intention rather than like the, the passion, the what, um, it, it makes your life and your work so much more flexible. So, you right. know, once you find that core intention, I believe it's actually possible and this is almost always true, there's an exception which I can talk about later, but no matter what work you have, what job you have, if you're strongly connected with your core intention, you can bring it forward in that job. So it doesn't depend on you having the perfect job description. Um, It's much more flexible and fluid than that. And how how does one know if they're in a happiness zone? You know, you talk so beautifully in the book about finding happiness. How do we know when we're there? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I, I, I think we definitely know when we're not there. I certainly knew through, you know, many different jobs and careers I had, just like there was a, a deep sense of either outright suffering or just a nagging sense of like, hmm, there's got to be something else here. I'm missing something. Mm. So I think when, when those things are absent and we're just completely in that place, I mean, oftentimes I think a really good clue is we actually lose track of time. Nice. You know, when, when we're doing what we're meant to be doing, when the, the core intention is at the root of our actions, uh, we're just, you know, we're just doing it. We don't think like, okay, three more hours and I'm done with this. But, you know, we're actually just in that beautiful flow. That That's a beautiful example. And I think some something that we can all relate to at one time or another and, and hopefully have more of those. So talk to me, Maya, about the right livelihood. Is this based in a, in a spiritual or even a religious practice or context? Well, the phrase itself, right livelihood, does actually come from Buddhist teachings, okay. which is the the orientation that I've been grounded in for many years. Um, and it's one arm of what's called the Eightfold Path. 
And those are actually just guidelines for how to live a life that's um, wholesome and nourishing. So, you know, I think that's, to me, what I love about the Buddhist teachings. They can actually translate really well into the secular world. And even though the phrase itself, right livelihood, comes from that tradition, uh, to me it's like you don't need to be a card-carrying Buddhist in order to appreciate what it means to actually have livelihood that that does not cause harm to you or to the world, and that actually brings you joy. I'm so grateful for the language that you use today, and certainly in the book as well, because I, I, it resonates when you say nourish your life. You know, when right. we think of that phrase or, or that word nourish, often we think of nutrition and how we honor our bodies, and that's part of it. But nourishing and um, really uh, self-care of, of our life holistically matters, and, and you address that beautifully in the book. Let's talk, though, Maya. Do you think that there is uh, room for one job throughout your whole life in this day and age, or is that a bygone? Well, you know, for what else, a couple of answers to that. One is, I think the world is very different than it was 20 or 30 years ago. So I think the world and economy is not so set up these days that, you know, we have one job throughout our life. That's much more rare than it used to be because things are outsourced. It's just we live in an entirely different economy. Um, so for that reason, I think it may not happen. However, for some people, it does. And I think the other half to my question, the other answer to your question is, you know, people are very different. So I, I feel like the book is not about a one size fits all solution. But just recognizing for some people, they may actually find that they may find this is it, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And that's beautiful if that works for you. Um, for many of us, that's not how it plays out. Yeah, and that's okay. So thank you for giving everybody permission to say, look, it's it's rarely a once-in-a-lifetime job, right? It's right. a circuitous path. You and I have both had circuitous journeys career-wise, and, and they have uh, brought us to exciting new things. So I want to talk about hobbies and, and vocations versus avocation. Do you have hobbies and outside interests that have really enhanced your happiness in life? Uh, I think somehow they've all now channeled into my work. So, and that's great, yeah. You know, this is, this is again an example of how I feel like that we can have a seamless flow. I have right. to tell you a, l- a little story here, yeah, and this is do. my anthropology hat on. Yeah. Um, and I think this is another one of the seeds of where the book came from. But about 20 years ago, I was lucky enough to spend about a month on the island of Bali oh. in Indonesia. And I was in my early 30s then, and I and, – it was fascinating to watch how life played out there. So every morning I would sit on my patio and have coffee and I would watch what was going on out in front of me. And every day there were women. And for some reason, I have no idea why it was always women (laughs) who did the work there, but the women would go out and they would work in the fields. They would work on the roads and actually do some pretty serious construction work. But what I found so fascinating was like throughout the day, as I was watching them, you know, they were together with their friends. They often brought their kids, um, So, you know, family was part of it. They were laughing as they were working. They were just talking and gossiping. They would stop in the middle of the day. They would do a religious ceremony, which is called a puja in that society. Um, And so there was like this interesting flow of, you know, it it wasn't like I was saying before, like we separate work and leisure and family and worship, but they were doing it all at the same time. So I think, you know, when I think about the question about hobby, it's like, You know, I love music and I try to incorporate that when I do coaching with people. Um, So I just really try to bring all that together as much as I can in the work that I do. That's lovely. Thank you for that story. I bet your, your, your experience there was really transformative. Yeah, it really showed me how different, you know, our assumptions are about work and that things have to be separate. So I've really held that as like a 
another possibility. Like we don't have to have this segregated. We can actually have things come together in the same moment. Yeah. So let's go back to the book. And would you please give an example or two of of people who have found happiness in their work that might be good examples for our global audience? Sure. Um, So I'll tell you the story of a man named Lyndon. And Lyndon, so before my book was a book, it was actually an online course called Mm -hmm. Fall in Love with Your Work. And Lyndon was one of the first people to take the course. I think this was like back in 2011. And at that point, um, he was working in healthcare marketing. So he had a sales job in healthcare marketing. He was actually making pretty good money. But like we were talking about before, he had that nagging feeling like, oh, I don't think this is it. This is not what I'm meant to be doing. So while taking the course and going through some of the exercises, what he got really clear on, like as he went through the core intention exercises, he really got clear that what most, you know, what helped him to thrive was actually supporting people on their spiritual path. Hmm. So, you know, this was a big leap from where he was. And so we did some work together and he realized like he didn't have to take that leap all at once. You know, he had to kind of figure out what that would be, how he could have a job that would allow him to do that. But in the meantime, he could do little things. So he, um, and he was living like in Louisiana. So we're talking in the heart of the Bible Belt. Yeah. But he thought, hey, there are other people who probably are hungry for this as well. So in his community, he started to offer free yoga and meditation classes. And it became really popular. And then he realized like, hey, you know, there is a need for this here in my own community. And he eventually went back to school. Uh, He got training in how to be a chaplain. He's now serving as a chaplain in a local hospice. Um, So, yeah, so I think he's a wonderful example of also like, you know, the incremental steps that it takes to move from where you're at now to a vision of a livelihood that really does express your core intention. It's not always like, you know, here I am today and it's got to be tomorrow you need to like grow that vision and take baby steps towards it. I love that. And from a, my career coaching hat too, I so appreciate that he really designed that end result based on a variety of experiences that he worked together, right? I think some people right. are always waiting for this magical job description to appear on one of their favorite right. websites. And that can happen, but the, the beautiful opportunity to take control and design work that matters to, to honor your book title uh, and be creative. Right. And one of the things that Lyndon talked about, and it ended up being in the book, uh, but he said, you know, a really a pivotal point for him was to realize like he had to separate the outcome from all this. So it's, mm. it wasn't like thinking like, OK, so next month, how am I going to get a job, you know, in supporting people in their spiritual path that's actually going to support me? It's like, well, that's not going to happen right away. But how about if, you know, I offer this free free offering to my community. So that's not going to bring in money. It's not my, you know, main job right now, but it's getting me started on that path. So beginning to just like detach a little bit from our attachment to like, we have to make money. (laughs) Like there, there are other ways to begin to grow that vision that don't necessarily have to involve money at the start anyway. What a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Maya, I'm impressed with your um, mindfulness practice and how you're incorporating that into your work as well. And mindfulness is all the rage, and it is frightening to some people who would love to incorporate it, but are a little nervous. So walk us through, might you have, again, some baby steps, some kind of reflective process, perhaps even just paying attention to the body and the breath for for someone listening around the world that says, I know I want this, but I really don't even know where to start. 
Right. It's actually a really simple thing, and I can see why it's intimidating to people. But, you know, it's essentially just being able to be to pay attention, you know, in the present moment to what's going on both inside of you and around you and to do that without judgment. So I think that's the thing that we um, that's new for many of us. It's like, okay, well, we see this going on, but we have so many stories that get attached to it. So the practice itself is really just a simple practice, and I think you brought up a great example. Um, you know, one very simple way to start is just just to invite yourself to stop for a moment um, and take a deep breath and then just notice, you know, how does my body feel? And again, without any judgment, it's not mm-hmm. like there's a right or a wrong way here, but, you know, you may notice some tension in your shoulders um, or you may actually feel really good, or maybe parts of you feel tense and parts of you feel good. But that's like a very good beginning step is just to reconnect with our body and reconnect with our breath. Beautiful, beautiful. And again, the overlay of no judgment is so important because yes. I think we, uh, many people are in a, a competitive landscape where they think they have to do everything right. <laughs> and and mindfulness and meditation and even yoga are a practice, right? So you never, right. never get to that point where you are, there is no perfection, right? So give it up and just enjoy the journey. Right. There are no mistakes, which is Lovely. beautiful. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. So let's segue, Maya. Tell me, who do you think the, the ideal audience is for your book? I see a wide audience here, but who, who did you write the book for? Right. Well, I wrote it for people who, um, like Lyndon, yeah. <laughs> might have that nagging sense like, hmm, there's got to be something more. And, and also, I mean, I think this is an important piece about the audience that this book will speak to. Uh, I do feel like there's got to be like an openness and a curiosity to learning more about yourself. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that's not true for everybody. And that's, again, I'm not making any judgments. But <laughs> I think if people are wanting to get like a book where they can just learn, how do I write a resume and, you know, quickly get my next job, this is not the book for them. But it's a, a real great book for people who are really curious about their life, um, who are willing to put in some effort to to learn more about themselves and then to apply that to their choices around their work. Beautifully put. I, I would agree. I'm, I'm sharing it widely and I see it as a wonderful tool to accompany someone on their own self-actualization journey to really have that opportunity to ask questions and, and, and dig a little deeper. So thank you for being our guide with this extraordinary book. Oh, it's my pleasure. I just, I love seeing people read it now that the book is actually out and I get to meet people who are reading it. It's so fun to actually hear how it's uh, taking its own life in their life and helping them make some changes. Oh, I bet. It must be giving you great joy. Maya, I want to remind our readers, uh, your name is Maya Dewar and your book is titled Work That Matters, Create a Livelihood That Reflects Your Core Intention. And it is available at all major book retailers and of course on Amazon. Maya, I wish you continued success and Thank you for all you do to empower others in life and career. Thank you, Caroline. It's a joy to talk with you about the book. Take good care. And hey, to all the listeners out there, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review and let us know what career development and life questions you have so we can address them on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special shout out to my extraordinary Your Working Life colleagues, Laura Deck, our Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, our Executive Producer. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Take good care. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa.